Africa rise and shine Africa zora Africa amka na unai Good morning and welcome to the final hour of the show. This is Africa Rise and Shine right here on Channel Africa from an African perspective. Tomorrow is Africa Day and we're preparing to market the best way that we know how by celebrating our Africanness. But also, we're going to be having the inauguration of the 6th democratically uh, elected uh, president of South Africa. Was 6th both around? Close up. How many years? Fifth. Fifth. Yeah. All right. Fifth. Uh, but anyway, we are live from our studios in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on DSTV's Audio Bouquet, Channel 802, and on www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Samora Mangesi in studio with Amanda Machaka, Tabi Soleoko, and Figile Lengwati. Top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at this hour. Cyril Ramaphosa prepares to be sworn in as president of South Africa. Nigeria's former president expresses concerns over high levels of insecurity in the country. In economics, Steinhoff to face shareholder class action in Germany. And in sports, FIFA Under-20 World Cup kicks off in Poland. Amanda, it's time for us to cross to you now for the latest news bulletin. Well, thank you, Samora. Good morning. Martin Fayulu, a defeated presidential aspirant in the Democratic Republic of Congo's December 2018 election, has commented on the ongoing electoral process in Malawi, calling for vigilance and protection of votes. In a tweet posted a day after Malawians went to the polls to elect a president, lawmakers and local level officials, Fayulu cautioned against any meddling with true figures from the polling stations. Over in Malawi, the elections body has uh, severally made an assurance that it had conducted a clean process and was fit to conclude by collating and declaring the true will of the people. Elections chief Jane Ansar is on record to have cautioned especially political parties against unofficial declarations. As at Wednesday evening, the main opposition candidate, Lazarus Chakwera, was in slight lead over incumbent President Peter Mutarika with about 35% of votes collated and announced about Mutarika has since uh, topped that number. Ugandan authorities are continuing the search for 15 missing people on Lake Albert after a boat capsized on Monday. At least eight bodies of Ugandan football team and their fans have been recovered. According to the police, the boat, which was traveling between two fishing villages, capsized due to overloading and bad weather. Africa's Great Lakes region has witnessed many of these accidents, mostly caused by poor transport, overcrowding and very few capable swimmers. Almost 140 people died last month on Lake Kivu and the DRC and last year 228 people drowned on Lake Victoria in Tanzania. Ten people have been kidnapped by an armed group in the Bina region of eastern DRC. The assailants raided a Chinese village where they looted and burned a local health center and robbed houses. Beni has been one of the main cities affected by DRC's 10th outbreak of Ebola in 40 years. 
and the virus has killed more than 1,000 people since August. According to the Saiti Intelligence Group, the Islamic State claimed responsibility for the attack in Chianichani and another village, Kumbwa, in Kamango, saying they clashed with the Congolese military. The Congolese army has not reported an attack on its bases in Kamango. Preparations for the inauguration of the fifth democratically elected president of South Africa on Saturday at the Loftus Stadium in the capital of Pretoria are at an advanced stage. Members of the public who plan to attend the inauguration of Cyril Ramaphosa as president will have to go through an accreditation process. Acting government spokesperson Pumla Williams is urging people to arrive early for accreditation cars will not be allowed in the vicinity so you have to go and park your car at the Twane event center however there will be some people who are living nearby obviously they will walk through and what we are saying all of them those that will come with the Twane event center bus those that will be walking through because it's a nearby they will have to go through AFIS so that they are cleared to make sure that they do not get into the stadium with things that have been pro- prohibited and they will be given response. And finally, former South African President Jacob Zuma's advocate, Moses Kakane, says his client does not have the funds to finance his corruption trial. The hearing of an application for a permanent stay of prosecution by Zuma and his co-accused uh, tales will continue this morning in the Peter Marisberg High Court. On Thursday, the matter was adjourned just as Kakane was about to submit new evidence about alleged political meddling in the case. Zuma and tells face 16 counts of corruption, fraud and racketeering. Skakane has accused the state of trying to squeeze the former president dry through litigation costs. The state is squeezing him out not to be able to afford lawyers. We say now that they've raised it, we've asked for it, they refuse because they want you to strike a balance between factors that they choose. Mr. Zuma remains here, squeezed out of everything he could do to pay anybody. That's why he ends up with this. It's because he has no finances, the state has squeezed that for him, and I say they must give us the information if they want the court to analyze how much it has cost. For Channel Africa News, I'm Amanda Machak. Join world-renowned Harvard economist and corporate strategist Mark Kramer and other exciting speakers in Nairobi, Kenya at the Africa Shared Value Summit from 23 to 24 May 2019. Hear how business thought leaders and changemakers have transformed their organizations through profit with purpose. Book your ticket at africashadevaluesummit.com today. Channel Africa is a proud media partner of Africa Shared Value Summit and will be broadcasting live from the summit. Make sure you don't miss out on the broadcasts on the 23rd and the 24th of May 2019. Log on to www.channelafrica.co.za or Southern Africa DSTV 802 to listen. Channel Africa from an African perspective.
South Africa's president-elect Cyril Ramaphosa will be inaugurated on Saturday at the Loftus Fersfeld Stadium as the country's sixth president. Ramaphosa was elected in the National Assembly on Wednesday following the May 8th elections, which saw his party, the ANC, secure over 57% of the national votes. Our political correspondent, Debo Mukobo, looks at Ramaphosa's rise to the country's top job. Born in 1952 in the township of Shawelu in Soweto, Matamela Cyril Ramaphosa started his political career at the South African Students' Organization, SASO. The South African Students' Organization was a student group formed as part of the broader black consciousness movement, which sought to unite black, colored and Indian people against the apartheid government. After the 1976 Soweto uprising, Ramaphosa was detained for six months for his participation in the student protests. He later joined the trade union movement and served as first secretary general of the National Union of Mine Workers. In 1991, he left Cosanto to serve as secretary general of the ANC, where he acted as party's chief negotiator during South Africa's transition to democracy. In 1994, he was appointed chairperson of the Constitutional Assembly and member of parliament until 1996. But when Thabo Mbeki was chosen as the president to succeed Nelson Mandela, Ramaphosa left politics for business, as Madiba explains. Comrade Ramaphosa will resign his position as a member of parliament once the constitution writing process is completed. His position as member of the National Executive Committee and Secretary General of the ANC remains unchanged. On behalf of the entire National Executive Committee of the ANC, I wish to take this opportunity to commend my comrade and colleague, Cyril Ramaphosa, for the important contribution he has made in building our organization, the ANC. Although many felt he was a perfect fit for presidency, Ramaphosa accepted the ANC's decision to send him to business. Well, as the president has said, my position in the National Executive Committee and as Secretary General remains unchanged. No doubt these matters are going to be discussed further and we will have to work out exactly what type of involvement I continue to have in the organization itself as an official of the organization and also what role and time I also give uh, in the private sector. One of the roles he assumed as part of his growing business portfolio was a non-executive directorship position at Lonmin a large British mining company. It was at a platinum mine owned by this company that thousands of workers embarked on a strike in 2012, which ended in the police killing 34 mine workers. And Ramaphosa was accused of having had an influence in the killings following his condemnation of the protest, describing them as criminal acts and calling for concomitant action. He had since been called to testify in the Marigana Commission. I would say that if someone is trying to help solve a situation which would either save lives, it should never be seen as a conflict of interest. When I intervened for the killings to stop, what he calls an incestuous relationship (coughs) cannot be so. In December 2012, he was elected ANC deputy president and became the country's deputy president following the 2014 national elections. There were three nominations for deputy president. Comrade Matthews Posa received 470 votes. 
The second nominee, Comrade Cyril Ramaphosa, received 3,018 votes. Comrade Tokyo Sahwale received 463 votes. Comrade Cyril Ramaphosa is the successful candidate for Deputy President. Thank you. He ultimately became the ANC president at the party's Nazareth conference in 2017, and after the recall of President Jacob Zuma in February 2018, Ramaphosa took over as the head of state. In the presence of everyone assembled here, and in full realization of the high calling I assume as president of the Republic of South Africa, I, Matamera, Cyril Ramaphosa swear that I will be faithful to the Republic of South Africa and will obey, observe, uphold and maintain the Constitution and all other law of the Republic. Would you please raise your right hand, uh, Mr. President-elect, and say, so help me God. So help me God. Now, as the president-elect following the May 8 elections and his subsequent election as president in the National Assembly on Wednesday, Ramaphosa vowed to work for all South Africans. I do believe that when one is elected in this type of position, you basically become a servant of the people of South Africa. And I'll seek to execute that task with humility, with faithfulness, and with dignity as well. That is what I will seek to do. Ramaphosa will be inaugurated at the Loftus Versfeld Stadium on Saturday and will announce his new cabinet on Sunday. I am Tebumokobo in Johannesburg. Time is 8.04 Central African Time, 8.14 Central African Time. Just a quick reminder that if you want to get in contact with us with regards to any of the stories that we're covering on the show, you can do so by sending us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za or send us a WhatsApp message to plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven. History will be made on the 25th of May when the presidential inauguration takes place at a soccer stadium instead of the traditional seat of the South African government, the Union Buildings in Pretoria. Loftus Farsfeld has been chosen as the preferred venue to host more than 32,000 people who will witness the swearing-in of the president. Pumzile Mlangeni reports. Just under three kilometers away from the Union buildings, the Loftus First Fall Stadium will play host to thousands. Named after respected South African rugby player Robert Owen Loftus Fersfeld, the stadium is not just the biggest in the capital city, but also boasts a rich history. It is one of the oldest arenas in the country, and many sporting events have been held at the 51,000-seater, including the FIFA World Cup in 2010 and the 1995 Rugby World Cup. It is also home to Pretoria Rugby franchise The Blue Bulls, and soccer outfit Mamilodi Sundowns. Stadium operational manager Hugo Kemp says hosting the inauguration is an honour. Well, it's an absolute pleasure and, and privilege to host this event. We've had many major international events, uh, but this, I think, is the cherry on the top. Uh, it's even be- bigger and better than World Cup. So we're just privileged to be part of this whole process and this great event. The move from the union buildings is a cost-cutting measure. It is also aimed at making the event more inclusive. Estimated to cost around 120 million rand, government says it's still 100 million rand lesser. 
This is when compared to the inauguration of former President Jacob Zuma five years ago, Minister in the Presidency, Dr. Nkosa Zanadlamini Zuma. We all know that there is an economic difficulty in this country and our budget that we are going to spend in this inauguration is more than a hundred million less than the previous one. So that's a huge difference between the last inauguration and this one. It's it's going to be more than a hundred million less. So we had to ensure that we don't spend as much as we did in the last inauguration or more. Citizens who plan to grace the event will have to be accredited. This will happen at the Afrikaanse Horsian School opposite the stadium on the day of the event. Shuttle coaches will also be available at the 20 event center to the venue. Acting government spokesperson Pumla Williams elaborates. The cars will not be allowed in the vicinity, so you have to go and park your car at the 20 event center. However, there will be some people who are living nearby. Obviously, they will walk through. And what we are saying, all of them, those that will come with the Tswane Event Center bus, those that will be walking through because it's a nearby, they will have to go through AFIS so that they are cleared to make sure that they do not get into the stadium with things that have been prohibited and they will be given response. Some South Africans have mixed feelings about the event. You are a responsible citizen of the country. You know politics are important to our economy, are important to our well-being as well, our safety and everything. So yeah, should be interested. Yes, I'm interested just because I want to support the president. You know, I'm so interested. I want. I can't wait to go and watch him. It's a very good president. We are happy for him. We are supporting 100%. I'm actually, I'm actually doing everything for myself. The government has not, hasn't helped me in anything, so I don't trust them. I'm, I'm paying tax just in here, and I don't know in, 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 in English what's inauguration So I don't trust, I don't trust the, the president. I don't trust, I don't trust them. Those attending are advised to arrive early, as the ceremony kicks off at exactly five minutes to eleven in the morning. When the president-elect arrives, I am Pumzile Mlangini in Pretoria. When South Africa's president-elect, Sol Ramaphosa, takes the oath of office on Saturday, which is tomorrow, the rest of the continent will be keen to hear what his policies on Africa are. Expectations are high that he will help thaw relations with the rest of the continent and help the African Union be more people-centered when he takes over the, rational, the, the rotational chairmanship of the continental body next year. South Africa last chaired the African Union in the year 2002 when Tamumbeki was president. Sarah Kimani reports. Experts on Africa say as the African Union chair in 2020 and one of the three African representatives on the United Nations Security Council, South Africa has a chance at promoting peaceful and constitutional transfer of power in Africa. At the African Union, President Ramaphosa will take over from Egypt's Abdel Fattah el-Sisi. Both will have big shoes to fill. Their predecessor, Rwanda's President Paul Kagame, presided over reforms at the continental body. Dr. Duncan Ojuang, an international relations expert, however says South Africa should use its position to change how African Union relates with the rest of the world with the aim of making it more assertive. 
to lead the continent to speak with one voice and uh, as we face globalization to have Africa map its interest very well and to negotiate for its interest. He also proposes that even as South Africa, a signatory to the African continent of free trade area, pushes for continental integration, it must look inward and begin by opening up its borders to Africans. Ramaphosa being uh, one of the uh, arm bearers during the struggle, uh, should understand that South Africa can play a very more important role in regional integration. I think their, their words have been that, but their action have been lagging. This pointers to the crafters of South Africa's foreign policy in what the rest of Africa expects from a big brother. Sarah Kimani, Kenya. On Saturday, the 25th of May, Africa Day, join Channel Africa from 1000 hours Central African time to 1400 hours as we bring you the South African Presidential Inauguration 2019. The event will be graced by several heads of state and thousands of South Africans. Channel Africa will bring you all the pomp and ceremony of this special event. Channel Africa bringing you the African Perspective. Moving on to Nigeria, where former Nigerian President Olusegun Abasanjo is facing criticism for saying that the main aim of terror groups operating in the country is the felonization of West Africa and Islamization of Africa. Obasanjo blamed several factors such as the Nigerian government's poor and slow response to the violence from the onset, including lack of military intelligence for the escalation of the security challenges. Our reporter in Nigeria, Colin Zatohengbe, has more. Chief Olusegun Obasanjo is a voice worth listening to on issues of national and international discourses. He has quite often made his voice known on developments which could affect African unity and any such things that could kill the fragile peace in Nigeria. One of such issues to which he has lent his voice a few days back is the intractable war against insurgency in Nigeria, a situation which has led to outcry from different quarters and kept the administration of Muhammadu Buhari on his toes. The former Nigerian leader speaking at the synod of the Anglican Church in Nigeria says the war being perpetrated by Boko Haram and headsmen across Nigeria is an attempt by the Fulani ethnic group to seize West Africa and install Islamic deep states with the help of ISIS. Could that be true? Both Boko Haram and his men acts of violence are now combined and internationalized ISIS in control. It is no longer an issue of lack of education and lack of employment for our youth in Nigeria, which it began as. It is now West African fulanization. That would seem too much for a former president and a retired army general to say without weighing the enormity of the impact it could have on the country he once governed. And without wasting time, the government issued a statement through its minister for information condemning Obasanjo with a claim that the elder statesman did not mean well. A chieftain of the ruling all-progressive congress, Professor Tunde Samuel, capped it up by saying Obasanjo is only seeking public relevance. Most Nigerians look up to former President Olusegun Obasanjo as a statesman of means and substance. So 
Anytime he comes out with some statements, most Nigerians are disappointed. Because presidents and other clients don't talk every time. You only find them talking and speaking when there are critical national issues where their opinion or their views matter. Yes. But President Obama does not like attention. He wants people to hear and see him talk. While Professor Tunde Samuel and his party faithful sees Chief Obasanjo as merely seeking attention, Senator Shehusani was on the floor of the National Assembly lamenting the spate of kidnapping and terror activities which has held Nigeria down to insecurity. He says the issues cannot be wished away. Last Sunday, some government stormed a church, Equa Church in Kaduna State, outskirts to my constituency. I took away the pastor and 15 other worshippers that have still not been traced. This is part of the problem that we continuously face as a people. And video clips have been circulated of Nigerians moving towards the Nigerian Republic as internally displaced persons. This is the law we have become as a nation. I believe that we should not get tired of bringing this issue to the national discourse, pressing on those with responsibility to do what needs to be done. Joined in the outcry on the development in the National Assembly are Senators Bala, Na Ala, Andrew Uchendu, and Ibrahim Gobir, whose constituencies have continued to suffer from acts of violence by gunmen. The picture they painted can only be of such concern as to prove the observation of Chief Obasanjo as correct. This is because most, if not all, of these killings across Nigeria are said to be the handwork of headsmen. I'm very sad, sir. Very, very sad. Sad in the sense that today, in the Senate of the Federal Republic of Nigeria, we have three interventions from three different senators that shows that the signs are not too good for us. Killing of innocent citizens as a result of murder, kidnapping, violence, or abduction has been the bane of River State for more than a decade now. In the eastern part of Sokoto, which consists of about eight local governments, we currently have a problem because the whole place has been invaded by the kidnappers and the robbers within those areas. What then can be done to deal with the devastating incidences of violence and, with, and wanton killings of unarmed Nigerians by a set of people which the United Nations says is the fourth most dangerous terror group in the world and whose only language is violence, Chief Obasanjo says. Boko Haram headsmen acts of violence were not treated as they should at the beginning. They are both incubated and develop beyond what Nigeria can handle alone. Government must appreciate where we are, summon each group that should make contribution, and subsequently, collectively, seek the way forward. The level of threat is the same across Nigeria. Earlier this week, a pan-Yoruba group circulated leaflets which revealed that there are as many as 1,200 cells operated by heavily armed headsmen in the forest within the southwest zone of Nigeria, which is inhabited predominantly by the Yorubas. There is hardly a community in Nigeria where the headsman has not killed, raped and destroyed people's farms without provocation. Though Nigeria is more in the news for these incidences, the same can be said of other West African states like Chad, Niger, Cameroon and only recently Burkina Faso. Maybe the government should look deeper into Chief Obasanjo's warning and raise the standard of security to avoid a Rwandan-like genocide in Nigeria and other West African countries. A stitch in time saves nine.
From Lagos, I am Collins Nosa Atohengwe for Channel Africa News. And that was our reporter in Nigeria, Collins Atohengbe. Channel Africa, together with Radio 2000 and the South African Broadcasting Corporation, is celebrating Africa Day at the SABC in Auckland Park on the 24th of May 2019, between 900 and 1500 Central African time, when 15 African state embassies showcase the best in their country's culture through food, music and fashion. Tune into www.channelafrica.co.za or DSTV802 and be part of the celebration on Gateway to Africa's live broadcast from 11 till 12 Central African time. Channel Africa bringing you the African perspective. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Again, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Again. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Central African time. Let's get uh, one last update with regards to the news headlines from Amanda Machaka. Thank you, Samora. Good morning. In the headlines, Martin Fayulu, a defeated presidential candidate in the Democratic Republic of Congo's December 2018 elections, has commented on the ongoing electoral process in Malawi, calling for vigilance and protection of votes. Ugandan authorities are continuing the search for 15 missing people on Lake Alpes after a boat capsized on Monday and one of Zimbabwe's liberation stalwarts, Dumiso Tabengwa, has died at the age of 79. Details on these and other stories at 9. Moving over to Zimbabwe right now, where Dumiso Dabengwa, nicknamed Black Russian and one of the few remaining war of uh, liberation commanders in Zimbabwe, has died at the age of 79. Dabengwa succumbed to a liver ailment in Nairobi, Kenya, en route to Zimbabwe from an Indian hospital. Simon Muchema reports from Harare. Zimbabwe is in mourning as former pillar of the liberation war Dumiso Dabengwa has died. Dabengwa, aged 79, died of a liver infection in Kenya on his way from India on Thursday morning. 
the veteran liberator, fought the liberation war under the late Joshua Nkomo, and served under President Robert Mugabe as Home Affairs Minister. Dumiso will be remembered for his four years incarceration after independence in 1980 on allegations of treason. Despite the alleged abuse, Dabengwa was part of the Zipra team that signed the unit accord with Mugabe in 1987. In 2009, Dabengwa revived Zapu and pulled out of unit accord, a move that angered Robert Mugabe and his ZANU-PF. Following news of his death, Channel Africa spoke to his close ally, Jablan Sibanda, another war veteran who was exed from ZANU-PF recently. In his response, Jablani was emotional and spoke with a somber voice. We've lost a freedom fighter. We've lost a man who stood up against colonialism and suffered a lot during the struggle of independence. We've lost a man, even after independence, who stood upright and was tried in the same courtrooms that were then liberated, but still maintaining laws of oppression, and he, is, he stayed in those prisons, and eventually with him he had to lose the commander of Zipra, the he lookout Maso. He stayed in the prisons after independence, and Maso died in the same prisons after independence. We have lost a man who worked with a number of groups in the liberation of, of countries that are known today as SADC. A man who worked with Umkondo uh, Isizwe, MPLA, Swapo, and other liberation movements for the liberation of our country. Already, the ruling ZANU-PF is busy organizing meetings meant to declare Dumiso a national hero, but Jablani said heroes are not appointed but recognized due to their heroic deeds. We have lost a man who stood a hard right against an is wrong. When our people, after independence, were massacred by the same government they fought to put into place. The same government using the same weapons that were used to liberate the people. And those weapons were turned against the people in a genocide of the early 80s. We've lost a man who looked forward to other liberation movements and other countries to come and help our people at that time of need. And she was disappointed because even the world over just watched and kept quiet up to this day. Personally, I've lost because I shared with him and, and Lukat Masuhu and Norman Skali, George Marange, Kenneth Mano, Reverend Masiane from Bridge, and many others we shared together. Shikuruvi F. Wall as the Chinese. Zenzeri Ndebele is a renowned journalist based in Bulawayo who has researched and wrote a lot on the late Tumiso Dabengwa and here is what he said to Channel Africa. After the unit accord in 1987, 
he became part of the the government of of ZANU PF and the leader and the, the position that he he held uh, various ministries, including the minister of of, of home affairs, and um, he was part of ZANU PF until he left ZANU PF in 2008 uh, when he joined hands with uh, Mabambo from Simbamakon, and you realize that during that uh, election ZANU PF failed to get a, a two-thirds uh, a win actually, which led to the formation of the government of national unity, and after that he revived ZAPU rather a party he was the president until his death a man of few words a very wise man really with a lot of wisdom he really of late has started to talk about issues that he said they needed to be corrected especially in regards to the history of Zimbabwe he was really indeed a great man and Zimbabwe and Matewele in particular have lost a leader Meanwhile, President Emerson Mnangagwa has issued a message of condolence to the Dabengwa family and burial arrangements are yet to be known. In Harare, Zimbabwe for Channel Africa, this is Simon Muchemwa. The two-day Pan-Africanism for the 21st Century Conference in Pretoria has come to an end. Delegates used the platform to call for urgent implementation of the resolution which include redefining the concept of Pan-Africanism on the continent. The conference under the theme Innovative Paths Towards Africa's Future Development brought together delegates from about 20 African countries to deliberate various issues to promote Pan-Africanism. Panuel Schuma reports. Among the key issues delegates tackled at this two-day conference was peace and security in the continent. Some experts believe this could be overcome. They called on African leaders to inculcate the culture of inclusive governance that allows the role of women in key decision-making positions. Efforts to preserve Pan-Africanism and its history also came under the spotlight. Dr. Nkulule Komajosim touches on some of the important points which delegates raised regarding the role of women in government leadership. Currently, the number of conflicts around the continent, think of countries like Mali, Sudan, South Sudan, and women are particularly and disproportionately affected by conflict. So the issue of women, peace and security is a very key issue, not only for this conference, but also for continental organizations such as uh, the African Union. So it was quite key for us to discuss in depth that issue. Delegates further considered that African leaders who persistently amend constitutions to suit their selfish political interests are a cause of the sporadic conflicts across the continent. A view supported by Professor Cheryl Hendricks, one of the organizers. In relation to governance and democracy, we've been concerned about the rising authoritarianism, the uh, fact that many of the presidents now want to change constitutions to stay on longer. So we need to be looking at those particular issues around regional integration. We note the Continental Free Trade Agreement and we were indicating some of the opportunities and challenges that come about because of that. However, delegates are of the view that the only way to accomplish the wishes of all role players is to come up with a well-crafted resolution document which encourages imminent implementation by participating member states. They say... This is crucial for the promotion of Pan-Africanism across the continent. Research specialist at African Institute in South Africa, Vuyom Jimbam, elaborates on the outcomes of the conference. One of the things that we noted, one of the things that came out strongly of this conference is the divergences of how people understand Pan-Africanism. 
what does it mean? I think these things, when we people were deliberating, look back and look and, and say, what does it mean to be a nation in Africa? We look at that the nation is defined according to the dictates of the Berlin Conference in, in the 1880s, there. I think it's 1881, if I'm not mistaken. That's what defines what South Africa, what Nigeria is, because those borders were not driven by us, drawn by us. And then this seems to be what is anchoring. The conference, which is the ninth edition of its kind, was organized by the Human Sciences Research Council in conjunction with the Department of Science and Technology. Fanuel Schumer, SABC News, Pretorium. As the continent prepares to celebrate Africa Day on Saturday, those that, look, those that took center stage in the struggle against colonial rule are telling a better story today. Our Zambian correspondent, Arthur Davis Sikopo, interacted with one of Africa's liberation warriors who has concerns on the future of the continent with an emphasis on the current generation. Santo Africa, rise and fight. Girls of Africa, rise and shine. In the struggle for Africa, we shall fight. And conquer now. That was a call for Africans to steer their way to greater freedom from colonial powers. Born in 1931 in then northern Rhodesia, presently Zambia, Scott Awina well recalls how the fight to liberate Africa from colonial masters was being crafted. He particularly recalls one meeting held in 1958 when African political leaders met in Accra, Ghana, with special emphasis on valuing Africa. Mr. Scotter, who had been jailed a number of times for demanding for Africa's freedom, adds that it was at that meeting when the African Liberation Anthem was adopted. There is victory for us. There is victory for us. In the struggle for Africa, there is victory. For us. That was a celebration conference in 1958. But then the whole purpose of that conference was to tell Africans that value what you have attained. And Nkrumah was the first one to call this, and I think there must have been some 58 nations which attended that one. It was there that the African liberation struggle was real, made permanent. Later on, the heads of state decided that I think it was time, it was necessary to have an African charter. Are African leaders today steering the continent to what freedom fighters envisioned? Of course, it is very difficult to have another Kwame Nkrumah, another Sekotore. But I think on the whole, the continent has really tried very hard to live up to its expectations. The problem I find myself, which is very, very, very disturbing, is the indifference among the young generation, in that they are not picking up the changes facts of, of African politics, economic development, exploitation still existing. Mr. Scotter, who served in Zambia's first cabinet in 1964 and ran various ministries, has a challenge for the continent. Why we are so good at uh, facts concerning the French Revolution and the English Industrial Revolution and so forth, we know next to nothing about our own history. And I think it's a high time really secondary schools and all these schools must begin teaching our people exactly how it came about that we have arrived where we are today. I think this is one of our greatest handicaps.
Zambia will tomorrow commemorate this year's Africa Day with an invigorated accord to having a more united Africa as it hosts an African leader, Egyptian President Elfata Ausisi. The state commemorations will be held at Freedom Statue and later at State House. Under the theme, the Year of Refugees, Britannies and Internally Displaced Persons, towards durable solutions to force displacement in Africa. Some refugees that have settled in Zambia feel they have found a permanent home and do not want to go back to their own countries. I can't go to my country because I want to see the way she's going to work. Others feel they can go back. We are getting ready to return home. Arthur Davis Sikopo reporting for Channel Africa in Lusaka, Zambia. Hello, uh, hi, I'm Salif Keita. You're listening to Channel Africa. Hello, uh, hi, I'm Salif Keita. You're listening to Channel Africa. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms. On Facebook, Channel Africa One. On Twitter, at Channel Africa One and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. On Saturday, the 25th of May, Africa Day, join Channel Africa from 1000 hours Central African time to 1400 hours as we bring you the South African Presidential Inauguration 2019. The event will be graced by several heads of state and thousands of South Africans. Channel Africa will bring you all the pomp and ceremony of this special event. Channel Africa bringing you the African Perspective. Alright Toby, so it's almost time for me to go home. But uh, of course, I can't do that without giving you yet another opportunity to update us with regards to the economics news. Thanks, Samara. Good morning. The South African Reserve Bank is forecasting another contraction in gross domestic product in the first quarter of this year, largely due to electricity supply constraints and a strike in the gold mining sector. The bank has again lowered its 2019 growth forecast from 1.3% to 1%. 
The bank's governor, Lisa Jahangaho, has raised concerns about the impact of the higher international oil price and electricity supply constraints on inflation. On Thursday, the bank's Monetary Policy Committee left the repo rate unchanged at 6.75%. Khanyaho said the bank expects to cut the repo rate next year. The implied path of policy rates generated by the quarterly projection model is for one cut of 25 basis points to the repo rate by the end of the first quarter of 2020. As emphasized previously, the implied path remains a broad policy guide which could change in either direction from meeting to meeting in response to new developments and changing risks. Steinhoff will face a class action before a German regional court dragging shares in the South African furniture retailer down by as much as 10% on Thursday. Steinhoff already faces another 6.68 billion US dollars worth of legal claims following the fraud which stunned investors that had bought into a story of a small South African outfit transformed into a discount furniture retailer straddling four continents. A court in Frankfurt, where the company has a secondary stock market listing, decided to bundle various cases brought by shareholders against the company and transfer them to a higher regional jurisdiction in a form of a class action. Official documents published in Germany's Federal Gazette on Wednesday showed. Eswatini's Minister of Commerce, Industry and Trade, Mangoba Kumalo, and Taiwan's Economics Minister Shen John Chin have signed a resolution for the establishment of the Joint Committee under the Economic Cooperation Agreement between Taiwan and Eswatini, which took effect in December 2018. Taiwan and Eswatini established a Joint Committee on Wednesday to push for bilateral economic cooperation. Eswatini is one of Taiwan's 17 diplomatic allies and the only one in Africa. U.S. President Donald Trump has unveiled a new aid package to help farmers caught in the crossfire his trade war with China. Trump imposed tariffs on Chinese goods last year, resulting in Beijing curbing purchases of U.S. soy, leaving farmers sitting on a stockpile of the commodity. China has also retaliated with the tariffs on U.S. corn, pork and other products. We're getting hundreds of billions of dollars coming into our country, and I'm helping the farmers. But you know what? That help is a very temporary help because they'll pay it back a hundred times over. They will with what they do, with the importance of what they do. SpaceX, the private rocket company of high-tech entrepreneur Elon Musk, says the 60 satellites flown into space are believed to be functioning properly. SpaceX launched the first batch of 60 small satellites into low Earth orbit for its new Starlink internet service, which is capable of delivering broadband to people on Earth. The U.S. dollar is trading at 358.18 Nigerian Naira, 
10.62 in Botswana and 99k in Shilling and as 13.20 in Zambia. In BRICS currencies, 4.4 Brazilian roll, 64.62 Russian ruble, 69.60 Indian rupee, 6.91 Chinese yuan and 14.44 to the South African rand. The US dollar is also trading at 79 pence to the British pound and at 89 cents to the euro. A look at commodities markets now gold, $1,272 platinum, $798. Dollars per ounce. So the price of Brent crude oil is at seventy dollars fifty-seven cents a barrel. Africa has risen and shined. And now we cross over to the sports desk. Here is uh, Fikile Lengwati. We begin with football news. Zambia's Galusha Bwadia and Andrew Kamanga's KEF Executive Committee member nomination will both be put through an in- integrity test to settle the two old foes battling for a seat in Cairo. Kamanga and Galusha were both guests of Sports Minister Moses Mawere at his office on Thursday to discuss the standoff. Our Zambian correspondent Amuchana Ligezo reports. In that meeting, a boss and failed to agree on who should contest for the CAFA executive committee meeting after being brought together by Minister Moses Mawere. And totally, Ekamanga and, uh, and Kalusha refused to step aside for each other with, uh, with the minister uh, at the end of it or uh, advising the deal not to settle that deal through first executive uh, committee decision. And first, we have released a statement, and that statement is saying both men now will be subjected to what is called the integrity test. So they will have to undergo the test in order for them to be people to go and contest these elections at CAF in July. And still with football news, South African women's national football team Banyana Banyana has just landed in France for their maiden World Cup appearance and they're in high spirits. While a spirited second place finish at the African Women's Cup of Nations back in December did herald a new era for women's football in the country, it's also marked a losing spell for Banyana Banyana, who last won a game six months ago when they defeated Mali in the semi final before losing to Nigeria in the final on penalties. Team coach Desiree Ellis says the opener against Spain is a must win. The first team. The first team we play is Spain. You know, you cannot look any further than that. Um, if you get a positive result, it sets a tone for the rest of the tournament. Similarly in AFCON, um, not getting a positive result would have put us on the back foot. So that's all we're concentrating on for this moment. They haven't won a game in the last World Cup, so their aim is also to win a game. We just want to make sure that we get our, our plan in order, and then it's up to the players to execute the plan, because that first game will set the tone for the rest of the tournament. You've seen the fighting spirit of this team, you've seen the attitude of this team, you've seen that they never give up. And I think, you know, we, we always say that did. we don't want to underestimate an opponent um, and I'm sure they think they could get points um, and they don't want to underestimate us because uh, we have shown that against the teams that we can compete. We've been to back-to-back Olympics and uh, a lot of the group have international experience and some have continental experience and some have World Cups from youth teams and I'm sure that will hold us in good stead. And the chairman of the Tokyo 2020 Coordination Committee, John Coates, says they have welcomed the International Olympic Committee's recommendation 
to include boxing at next year's game. The IOC have instead set up a task force led by IOC member in International Gymnastics Federation head Morinari Watanabe to organize boxing in Tokyo. Watanabe was less sure when pressed on whether he would consult professional boxing organizations. Sorry, I don't have an idea because, of, you know, I don't know how is the situation in the boxing in the world. But, you know, I, I want to listen many people's opinions. So I want to um, find the best way for the assault and justice. That's the Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine for today. From myself, Samora Magesi, producer Pumuzo Ramagadza, and uh, technical producer Wiseman Mangele, as well as the rest of the team. Thank you f- for listening. For comments on the show, you can send us a WhatsApp message to plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven, or tweet us at Channel Africa One or at Rise Shine Africa. You can also send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news on DSTV's audio bouquet channel eight hundred two, and on www.channelafrica.co.za is Culture Clan with a song titled Africa. It is a Friday, so it's goodbye. Enjoy the rest of your day and enjoy your weekend. From the depths to where? To the heights and never dropping, kid.
didn't know that Africans could flow do what they can, man, to bring in the dough. However, though, it's in the culture to bring it back home so we can build Zion. Bold heads fire on to all the lions. Don't stop trying. Stay high on the renaissance of Africans in the pipeline. Z.